My name is Ezra. I'm one of the pastors here, and man, it's, it's exciting to be here with you. I want to invite you to turn uh, in your Bibles uh, to uh, 2 Kings chapter 2. And uh, sadly, we're drawing uh, this, uh, this series on the prophet Elijah to a close. It's, uh, it's been, I've, I love that he's one of my favorite Old Testament uh, figures, and just studying his life over the past 12 weeks has been super enjoyable for me. So if, if no one else enjoyed it, I know that I really enjoyed it and uh, got a lot out of it. And so thank you for indulging me. Um, but tonight, we're, or today, we're going to come to the, uh, the close of Elijah's earthly life. And um, he does make a cameo appearance in the New Testament. He pops back in at the Mount of Transfiguration, which is pretty awesome. But, but as far as his Old Testament earthly life appearance, this is the end of the road. And so, uh, so we're going to look at how he finishes, and we're going to look at um, this idea of pursuing uh, a blessing from God, uh, understanding what, it's, what it means to pursue God's blessing. And... Uh, as I said, we're coming out of Thanksgiving weekend. I hope that you all had a, had a great opportunity to eat some good food and, and gather with some good people uh, and, and just spend some time, hopefully all just being thankful for the things that God has blessed you with, whether a lot or a little, to, to, to experience gratitude. Um, and it's an incredible gift in and of itself. Uh, we got to visit my family, and uh, we went, and it was, it was kind of a crazy time, all kinds of little kids running around and stuff, and we came back early yesterday morning, and we actually went out and got our Christmas tree already. How many guys, did anybody else uh, go out and get their Christmas tree set up? Just a few, the few, the brave. Some of you are like, Christmas trees are pagan, and they have nothing to do with Christ, and I don't have it in my home. I know some of you guys are out there, so I'm cool with that if that's where you're at. But we got a Christmas tree, and, um, and uh, it, was, it was a continuation of something that we've been exploring in our life about the blessings of God, and going back to a sermon that, that I preached earlier uh, a couple months ago, just talk, I talked about how when we were going down to the Jersey Shore, we were praying for parking spots and just praying for God's favor, even in the small things, right? The little things of life. And so as we're driving to get this Christmas tree yesterday, we're like reminiscing about, man, the past several years, it's been so enjoyable. We've just walked right up. The tree we wanted was just right there, and it's been so easy. And uh, man, let's not take that for granted. Like, we, should, we should pray for God's favor in this Christmas tree trip. And our kids, they don't even bat an eyelash now. They're like, yeah, that seems normal, Dad. Let's do that. So Emma, our 12-year-old, prayed and uh, prayed that we would have favor in finding a tree. And, uh, and so we go to Produce Junction. We pull up. Great parking spot right in the front. I go around to get my gloves out of the back of the car. And by the time I walked around in the front of the car, uh, my wife Trina and our daughter Emma are like, we found it. It's like right there. They literally like walked up and put their hands on the perfect tree. And we're like, well, let's spin it around. Let's measure it. And it was perfect. So we, we put it on the car and we took it home. And um, man, it's, a, it, it's one of these things where we would prefer, if we're going to err on the side of, of going to God, and asking for God's blessing, I'd rather do it too much than not enough, right? I'd rather ask for God's blessing in everything. I'd rather just pursue him and invite him into every little aspect of my day all day long rather than take this stance that says, hey, I can do it on my own. God, I got it. If I need you, I'll come, come looking and wait until things spiral way out of control and I can't handle it. And then I cry out like, God, I need you to help me, right? I'd rather be in a, in a daily intimate walk with him and, uh, and if we ask too much, I'm sure he'll let us know. But it hasn't happened yet. And, uh, and, and so we're just thinking about, you know, pursuing the blessings of God. And if, and if you'll indulge me to take this one step further, one of the things I love at Produce Junction is they have these Christmas tree stands, $8.50, and they are awesome Christmas tree stands, okay? This has been like one of the things, the sources of like, one of the few, very few sources of marital conflict between Trina and I has been getting a Christmas tree upright, 
and staying that way through the entire Christmas season. In the early years of our marriage, we struggled with that a lot, right? And, and part of it was a defective, we, we had some hand-me-down Christmas tree stands, and so I, you know, barely, like, fit on, they were way too small, and, like, you put it in, and, um, and at one point we had wires, like, going to the wall, like, holding it up, and it was all crazy, but, but what I found is that these stands, they have five bolts that you tighten, and they've got these little flat plates, and, and if you do it right, and you put it in there, it's super solid, it gets the tree straight, and it, and it stays that way. And I was thinking about how this is really similar to our life as Christians, as followers of Jesus, there's, there's this incredible balance that we have to experience of, of getting things not overly tightened and not underly tightened, but, but right in the middle in the balance where we can experience God's blessing. And God's blessing is one of those areas uh, that this happens in a lot. Let me give you an example before you're like, what is he talking about? I remember Christmas tree stands, all right? Um, God is a, a good father, right? He loves us. And, 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 for those of us that, uh, that are parents, or if you have grandkids, or you have nieces or nephews, you're probably excited about getting them a gift, or even an angel tree gift, right? You're like, man, I can't wait to give a good gift, because we love the good gifts. And, and so if we're that way, God is infinitely more that way, right? And so, so people say, hey, God is a good father. He loves us. We're his children. He wants us to give us gifts. And so they just keep tightening that bolt, and they say, therefore, God must want me to be rich. He want, must want me to be successful in everything I would do. He must want me to, uh, to never fail, to always be healthy, to be perfect in every way. And they tighten that bolt down until it's completely out of balance, and the tree is like shooting off this way, right? We recognize that. This is what we call the prosperity gospel, right? And what it does is it inverts things. Instead of saying that, that I exist to glorify God, it says that God exists to essentially glorify me. God exists to give me the desires of my heart. He's the vehicle by which I obtain the things that I really want. And if I just pray the right way, or if I have the right kind of faith, then I can get what I want by using God. And it's completely messed up. That's not the gospel. <laughs> That's not what the Bible shows us. That's not what it says. But if we, if we overemphasize God's goodness as a father, we can go down into this territory where we think that God exists to give us stuff. So some people say, hey, no, that bolt's too tight, and so they loosen it way down, and they start cranking on the other end, and they say, actually, Christians shouldn't have anything. <laughs> if you're a true Christian, you should be living in a cave. No shoes, <laughs> nothing to eat, right? And, and if that's not enough, you should actually inflict pain upon yourself. You should find some ways to, to just, because the more you suffer, the better a Christian you are. And obviously, we recognize that that's wrong too, right? It's, it tightens that down so far to the point where it's like God really wants us to suffer. Now, God uses suffering in our lives. It's, it's a crucible sometimes that he uses to, to, to uh, form us. There's some lessons that we can only learn through struggle and difficulty and suffering. Uh, but to think that the Christian life is all about suffering, it doesn't hold in balance with what we see in Scripture. And so what we want to do is we want, to, we want to approach it from a gospel context that says, I exist for God's glory. I embrace both the blessings and the favor of God as well as the trials, challenges, and the mission of God. I want whatever he wants for me. Because I recognize that true wealth is knowing God. Paul said it this way. He said, I know, I know that I, I can have abundance and I can have little. I, can, I know I've learned this secret of having joy in all things. Because I've learned it's all about Jesus. And so I can have a lot, and as long as a lot doesn't steal my heart, I can glorify Jesus, and I can actually become a vessel through which he can do a lot of things. 
and I can have what little. I can have nothing. Look at Jesus. He was, the, he was perfectly in the center of God's will his entire life, and, and he died essentially penniless, right? No property, no inheritance. The one thing he had was a coat, and they, and they gambled that away, right? Like, uh, and Jesus did it perfectly, and that's the danger. Sometimes we think like, oh, man, okay, I thought I was supposed to be healthy and, and prosperous, and I'm not, so I must be failing, or God must be failing. But the gospel says it's not really about any of those things. It's about a closeness with God, and God can bring me closer through his blessings and his gifts, and he can bring me closer through need and want. He can bring me closer through all those things. And so really it's embracing. We love the book of Ephesians here at Riverside. We use it in our discipleship process, and the reason is this. Um, in the beginning, chapter 1 says, you are awesome. <laughs> You're an adopted child of God. You've received an inheritance. When he looks at you, he sees you as righteous and spotless and blameless. And you uh, have been given this knowledge of this incredible mystery that's been withheld for ages. And you're like, man, I feel pretty good about myself, right? And then in chapter 2, he says, and you have all that, and that's who you are because you were dead. <laughs> you were dead in your sin. You were completely separated from God. You were isolated from him. You could do nothing to save yourself. And when you were in that low and uh, desperate place, that Jesus came and gave his life for you and offered you the free gift of salvation and forgiveness and adoption and redemption. And because of what Jesus has done, that's why you are what it says you are in chapter 1. But then it goes on in chapters 3, 4, 5, and 6 to say, because of that, <laughs> now here's what you want to do so that you can live the life that God desires for you. It says he created you to do good work. And when you pursue lust of the flesh and you pursue pride and you pursue envy and you pursue jealousy and, and strife and conflict, that all those things hinder you from experiencing the joy that God has placed inside of you. They limit you. And so, so should Christians live a blessed life? I would say absolutely, right? We're blessed just by the knowledge of God. We, we start in a blessed position. And then I think we also eliminate, if, we, if we're obedient to the Bible, we eliminate a lot of the, the trials and struggles and difficulties that can come into our life when we're stumbling home from the bar at 2.30 in the morning, right? There's a lot of stuff that can come into your life that are trials and difficulties that as a Christian we should be able to separate ourselves from. Uh, and, and, and when we pursue things that God wouldn't want from us, right? And so just by living the life that Jesus calls us to live, we remove ourselves from a lot of trials and difficulties. But we recognize that there's still trials and difficulties that come. Christians still get sick. Christians still have broken relationships. Christians still have loved ones that, that, that die or move on or uh, uh, that, that abandon them. And, and so we experience those things, but we don't experience it alone. We experience it with Jesus at our side. That's what we want to do, right? And so, and so when we get all of that in perspective, then it puts us in a position um, to be, to be straight and upright and to be a place where God can exhibit his glory in the world and we can become a platform that he can hang ornaments and lights and, and things on, right, to show his glory. I know I'm going to work this Christmas tree metaphor into the ground, right? But you're going to think about this when you're decorating your tree, right? And so that's what we're going to think about this morning. And so let's take a look in 2 Kings chapter 2. Uh, this is Elijah and Elisha on the, the final day that Elijah spends on planet Earth. And it says, uh, Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. 
Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And so they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and they said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from you? He said, yeah, I know. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha, and they said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? He answered, Yes, I know. Keep quiet. It's like the worst kept secret in Israel, right? Everybody knows, right? Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has called me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And so the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them. And as they both were standing by the Jordan, then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. Man, this opening section, um, there's something really significant that stands out, right? And it's, it's just this persistence of Elisha right? Three times Elijah says, hey, stay here. I'm going to keep going. You stay here. Elijah says, no. As the Lord lives and as you lives, I will not leave you. So the first thing that we're learning today is this pursuit of the blessing. That Elisha says, I'm going to keep pursuing the blessing of God until it is placed upon me. Because if you remember, a couple weeks ago, we looked at when Elisha first came on the scene, he was plowing the field, right, with the oxen and the yokes. And, uh, and Elijah comes and he chucks his cloak on him and he tries to run away. But Elisha says, no, no, hang on, man. I'm going to come with you. I just got to make a meal. I got I to gotta, I gotta end this. I got to burn this bridge, right? I got to literally burn these plows. I'm going to make a meal for my family. I'm going to say goodbye. I'm going to kiss them. And I know that I'm not going to see them again because I've been called to something new. And he goes with him. And now it's been a long period of time, about 18 years, that they've, they've been walking together. And he knows that he's called to, to succeed Elijah as the prophet of the Lord. And he says, hey, I'm not done. I'm not backing out. I'm not leaving until what God has promised is fulfilled. Right? We sang about this in, in, in the song, Say the Word, this morning, right? Like, uh, until his promise is fulfilled. We're going to sing about it again later again at the end of the service. He keeps going. He does it three times, and there's significance in Scripture. When something happens three times, there's a certainty to it, a, a finality to it. Think about Peter, right? Peter says, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And he says, Peter, you're not even going to make it till tomorrow morning before you deny me three times. And he denied him three times. But then after Jesus rose from the grave, he went back to Peter. And three times he says, Peter, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know I love you. He says, feed my sheep. He, he restored him said, hey, I know you failed, but I forgive you, <laughs> and I need you. <laughs> I need you to be restored so I can go out and use you. And so, so Elisha is saying, you could say it a hundred times, and I'm still going to keep following you. Wherever you go, I'm going to follow you. And, and, and we contrast this with the servant uh, at Mount Carmel. <laughs> Remember Ben Petock preached uh, several weeks ago about uh, when uh, Elijah did this amazing miracle on Mount Carmel. He called down fire from heaven. It was just incredible. And everybody kind of wanted to be in Elijah's entourage. Like, man, this is awesome. And then Jezebel says, hey, Elijah, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and everybody disappears, right? And Elijah says to his servant, he says, hey, you stay here. I'm going to keep going into the wilderness. And the servant's like, uh, yeah, that's a good idea. I'll stay here. <laughs> and you go. I think, they're, I think I hear them coming. They're chasing you, right? What happened to that servant after that moment? <laughs> 
We don't know, right? He left the story. He jumped off. He didn't say like Elijah, no, Elijah, I'm your servant. I will follow you wherever you go. He took the opportunity and he bailed out. But Elisha says, I'm not like that. I will not let go. I will not relent. And God loves people that pursue him in that kind of way. I mean, he loves all of us. But he can really use someone that will pursue him in that kind of way. Think about Jacob wrestling with the Lord all night long, right? Completely fruitless. Had 0% chance of winning. Kind of like the Bears against the Eagles today, right? 0% chance of winning. I just jinxed him. Watch. But he wrestled with him all night, and he said, I will not let go of you until you bless me. At the end, God shows him, hey, at any moment, he just touches his hip, and it goes out, and he's done, right? And he walks with a limp for the rest of his life. But he shows him, hey, I always had the power to defeat you, but I like how you wouldn't let go. And because of that, I'm going to bless you. And we see this over and over again in Scripture, how the ones that are relentless, the ones who won't give up, the ones who, who won't quit when it gets difficult, are the ones that stick with it to see God's blessing on the other side. So I just ask you, is, is that you this morning? Is that a depiction of your life? Uh, the interesting thing that we see unfold here is that uh, there's this kind of journey that takes place, right? They start in Gilgal, then they go to Bethel, then they go to Jericho, then they go to the Jordan. Um, and they didn't get miraculously transported from place to place. It was, it was walking. He said, I'm going to follow you. And then he took one step after another, and he followed him. And that's what our life looks like. We want those miraculous moments, and every once in a while we get them. Elijah got to see some miraculous moments. Elijah got to witness some miraculous moments. But, but most of it was mundane. Most of it was saying, hey, what direction are we going? All right, God, one foot in front of the other. Faithfulness, consistency, but always pursuing God. And so if you're here this morning and you're saying, man, I, you know, I just kind of feel, I kind of feel plateaued. I don't feel excited about my spiritual life. I don't feel excited about what God is doing. I, I, don't get, I don't get excited to go to church. I don't get excited to read my Bible. I just, I don't know, I just kind of lost the passion. I want to encourage you, the passion is found in the pursuit. The passion is found as you, as you walk. Day in, day out, you make a habit of going after the Lord. And hey, it'd be great if you had an hour to spend every morning. Not everybody has that. Take five minutes, right? Open the Word. Read something. Pray, say, God, I, I know what my calendar says. I know what my iPhone tells me that I'm supposed to do today, but, but I'm available to you. Whatever appointments you want to put on my schedule, wherever you want me to go, I'm, I'm going to be looking. I expect you to do something today, and I'm going to be looking for it. And so when the random person comes, like, Why, what's this guy? Why is this sales guy coming to me? You're always looking like, God, is this somebody you're bringing across my path? Is this something you want me to do? Is this? And when you live your life in that way, you get the joy of entering into the blessing. You're pursuing the blessing of God. Second thing, verse 9. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. He said, you've asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it shall be for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen, and he saw him no more. Second thing that we see here is that Elisha asks big, right? 
He pursues the blessing, and then he asks big. He asks for a hard thing. And there's two interesting things about this double portion. Number one, Elijah is pretty much as good as it gets, right? I mean, if you're doing a Mount Rushmore of biblical characters, Elijah's going to be on there. He's, he's amazing. He had the Spirit of the Lord on him. He did incredible things. And Elisha said, hey, uh, yeah, I just, all I want is what you have times two, <laughs> right? I want double. Man, that's a big ask. And even Elijah's like, wow. <laughs> I thought you just like wanted like, uh, you know, my staff or something, right? But he recognizes, he says, hey, that's a, that's, a big, that's a big request, and honestly, it's not mine to give. If you get that blessing, that's going to come from God. But here's the thing. If you see me taken up to heaven, then you can know that God has granted your request, right? Sometimes we don't have because we don't ask. We just don't ask big enough. We don't dream big enough dreams, right? I think about Tangled, right, when they're in the, the snuggly duckling. Is that what it's called? <laughs> Right? And, uh, and, and uh, they're like, your dream stinks. Uh, like three people, including my daughter, get that, right? But sometimes our dream is not worth pursuing. Sometimes our dreams are just, uh, they're, they're not God-sized dreams. Think about your prayer life. Evaluate this. What, what, what do you normally pray for? You know, you're praying for, for, for your family, for protection, for, um, uh, for safe travels, for, for good health. Uh, for favor in a work situation, for parking spots, for Christmas trees. It's good. Pray for all those things. That's, those are good things to pray for. But, but does your prayer life elevate to another level where you say, God, I also, man, I just want to see, I want to see you do amazing things for your name through me. I know I'm not worthy of it. I know there's nothing special about me, but I'm completely available to you. And what I've seen in Scripture is that when somebody makes themselves completely available to you, that you can do amazing things. There's nothing special about our church, right? I think our, our greatest characteristic is that we have just made ourselves available to God. So God, whatever you want to do, we want to be obedient to that. We're, we're not real concerned with tradition, expectations of other people, uh, attendance records, uh, get, you know, all that stuff is great, but we just want to do what you want us to do in this community. Man, if we do that, that's, the sky's the limit, right? And so let's ask. And, and, and it's good to leave it open and say, God, whatever, whatever. But, man, maybe start allowing his heart to inform your prayers. Like, man, God, I feel like you're pushing me. Uh, man, I, I, I want to see, see three people come to faith this year uh, through, 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 through me witnessing, through me sharing. Man, I want to see, see, you know, whatever. Whatever the dream is, I don't even want to, I don't want to project it onto you, right? But what are you asking God for that you can't do on your own? What are you asking him to accomplish where you're like, man, God, if you don't show up, this will never happen. <laughs> We've got a bunch of crazy church planners that are going out of Riverside, and they're going to start a new work up in Doylestown. Man, that is amazing. That's incredible. That says, God, I'm going to intentionally set out on an endeavor that will never succeed unless you are in it. Because I know that as I walk with you, and as I pursue you in that, that I'm going to experience a blessing that it will be unlike anything else I could experience. Church plan is a great place to experience that. Right here in the church is a great place to experience that. Jesus commands us, he says, hey, I, I want you to make disciples. That's what, that's what we get to do. That's the fruit that we get to celebrate. When we die, you know, we're not going to leave a lot that's of great value behind. 
kids, you may get no inheritance from me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know that I'll be able to leave you anything in my will, right? A Christmas tree stand, a hand-me-down. But my prayer is that I'll leave a spiritual legacy and that you'll do more than I could ever accomplish in my life. And the people that you invest in will do more than you've done, that, that we get to pay it forward. And, and we see this coming through in Elijah's life. Remember Elijah? Just think about the journey he's been on. He was depressed. He was, he was upset. He was, he was lonely. He was isolated. And essentially, he confronted Ahab his whole life, and Ahab never turned. Ahab stayed with a hardened heart. He repented briefly, but ultimately he died with a hardened heart towards the Lord. And so you can look at it and be like, man, Elijah poured his whole life out. What did he accomplish? But what we see here is that he did accomplish uh, this relationship with Elisha. Because the second thing about the, the double portion is that was the inheritance that would go to the firstborn child. The firstborn will get a double portion of the inheritance. And so essentially Elisha is saying, like, hey, I know I had an earthly family and I said goodbye to them, but, but you are my father. And I'm asking you to acknowledge that I'm your son and I'm asking you to give me a double portion of the inheritance. I know you don't have anything. You don't have earthly goods. You don't have any inheritance to hand down to me. We don't have land. What you have is the spirit of the Lord and I want a double portion of that on my life. So I want to encourage you that if you're here today, I, I know family situations can be really difficult, right? I know there's a lot of brokenness. Uh, the, the, the earthly family that you've got, maybe you're blessed with a, a really great one, maybe you're blessed with a really difficult one. But in the church, we have the opportunity to have a spiritual family that you can enter into life with someone and walk with someone to the place where God gives you this close bond that's even deeper than blood, right? And that's what Elijah was blessed with. When Elisha said to him, my father, my father, Elijah knew that, that, that he was leaving a legacy on the earth. Man, what kind of legacy are we leaving? Are we asking big? Are we pursuing the blessing? And look at how it ends. After Elijah is whirlwinded up into heaven, it says, then, then he took Elijah, Elisha, took hold of his own clothes, and he tore them in two pieces. Verse 13, and he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he went back, and he stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak of Elijah, that had fallen from him, and he struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. And now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. He pursued the blessing. He asked big. And when he received the blessing... He remembered that it wasn't about him. It was about God, right? He didn't walk up and say, I, prophet Elisha, command you waters to be parted, right? He knew the blessing wasn't in the cloak. The blessing wasn't even in Elijah. The blessing was in the Lord. He goes and he says, Lord, where, Lord, where are you? I can't part this water. I need you. I'm asking big. I'm pursuing your blessing. I've asked you to pour your double portion on me. And Lord, I'm asking you to come. And when he did, the waters were parted. Even when God pours the blessing out upon us, he was blessed before he parted the waters. But it was in stepping out in faith. <laughs> it was when he struck the water that that's when he experienced the blessing of God. Man, we are so blessed as God's children. 
But until we step out in faith, until we're dependent on him, until we ask him to do something that's bigger than we can do ourselves, we don't experience the blessing in a tangible way, and, and the people outside don't recognize it, right? Once he parted the water and he walked across, they're like, oh, yeah, the spirit of Elijah's on him, right? <laughs> Man, I, 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 want, I want you, I want us to live a blessed life. I want you to experience the nearness of God. And I, and, I, and I want to tell you that scripturally, it's available to you. But you have to pursue it. You have to ask big, right? And then you've got to step out in faith knowing that it's not you that did it. It's, it's him. The power rises in him. He may call you to obscurity. He may call you to a great position. He may call you to very little. He may call you to to manage great things and steward great things for his behalf. The joy comes in embracing the calling that he places on your life and walking in it.